Book One, Chapter Five of the Heavenly Twins. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devora Allen. The Heavenly Twins by Sarah G. Book One, Chapter Five. Evadne was never a great reader in the sense of being omnivorous in her choice of books, but she became a very good one. She always had a solid book in hand, and some standard work of fiction also, but she read both with the utmost deliberation, and with intellect clear and senses unaffected by anything. After studying anatomy and physiology, she took up pathology as a matter of course, and naturally went on from thence to prophylactics and therapeutics, but was quite unharmed because she made no personal application of her knowledge as the coarser mind masculine of the ordinary medical student is apt to do. She read of all the diseases to which the heart is subject, and thought of them familiarly as cardiac affections, without fancying that she had one of them, and she obtained an extraordinary knowledge of the digestive processes and their ailments, without realizing that her own might ever be affected. She possessed, in fact, a mind of exceptional purity, as well as of exceptional strength, one to be enlightened by knowledge, not corrupted. But had it been otherwise, she must certainly have suffered in consequence of the effect of the curiously foolish limitations imposed upon her by those who had charge of her conventional education. Subjects were surrounded by mystery which should have been explained. An impossible ignorance was the object aimed at, and so long as no word was spoken on either side it was supposed to be attained. The risk of making mysteries for an active intellect to feed upon was never even considered nor did anyone perceive the folly of withholding positive knowledge, which, when properly conveyed, is the true source of healthy-mindedness, from a child whose intelligent perception was already sufficiently keen to require it. Principles were dealt out to her, for one thing, with a generous want of definition, which must have made them fatal to all progress had she been able to take them intact. Her mother's favorite and most inclusive dictum alone, that everything is for the best and all things work together for good, should have forced her to a matter-of-fact acceptance of wickedness as a thing inevitable, which it would be a waste of time to oppose, since it was bound to resolve itself into something satisfactory in the end, like the objectionable refuse which can be converted by ingenious processes into an excellent substitute for butter. But she was saved from the stultification of such a position by finding it impossible to reconcile it practically with the constant opposition which she found herself at the same time enjoined to oppose to so many things. If everything is for the best, it appeared to her, clearly we cannot logically oppose ourselves to anything, and there must accordingly be two trinities in ethics, good, better, best, and bad, worse, worst, which it is impossible to condense into one comprehensive axiom. But most noticeably prominent, to her credit, through all this period, are the same desirable characteristics, viz., that provisional acceptance already noticed, of what she was taught by those whom she delighted to honor and obey and the large-minded absence of prejudice which enabled her to differ from them, when she saw good cause, without antagonism. Drop the subject when you do not agree. There is no need to be bitter because you know you are right, was the maxim she used in ordinary social intercourse. But she was at the same time forming principles to be acted upon in opposition to everybody when occasion called for action. Another noticeable point, too, was the way in which her mind returned from every excursion into no matter what abstruse region of research, to the position of women, her original point of departure. Withholding education from women was the original sin of man, she concludes. 
mind as creator appealed to her less than mind as recorder reasoner and ruler and for one gem of poetry or other beauty of purely literary value which she quotes there are fifty records of principles of action the acquisition of knowledge was her favorite pastime her principal pleasure in life and there were no doubts of her own ability to disturb her so long as there was no self-consciousness unfortunately however for her tranquillity the self-consciousness had to come she approached the verge of womanhood she was made to do up her hair she was encouraged to think of being presented coming out and having a home of her own eventually her liberty of action was sensibly curtailed but all supervision in the matter of her mental pursuits was withdrawn she had received the accustomed education for a girl in her position which her parents held without knowing it themselves perhaps to consist for the most part in being taught to know better than to read anything which they would have considered objectionable but the end of the supervision which should have been a joy to her brought the first sudden sense of immensity and was chilling she perceived that the world is large and strong and that she was small and weak that knowledge is infinite capacity indifferent life short and then came the inevitable moment she does not say what caused the first overwhelming sense of self in her own case but the change it wrought is evident and the disheartening doubts with which it was accompanied are expressed she picks her flower in the crannied wall and realizes her own limitations but if i could understand what you are root and all and all in all i should know what god and man is and from this time forward there is less literature and more life in the commonplace book End of Book 1, Chapter 5